you are looking like, what is going on? Isn't that guy like the praise and worship leader? He's up there talking. You may be seated. You may be seated. <laughs> well, my name is Paul Kenny. I'm actually the worship director here at Tri-Cities Church. But what some of you may not know, I'm also a final semester graduating senior in seminary. Amen. <laughs> amen. Amen. And so, you know, I often get the question like, so are you going to be a pastor? Are you going to preach? And I'm just like, well, you got to know everybody that goes to seminary doesn't go to seminary to be a preacher. My concentration actually is pastoral care. And so I have a master's in divinity with a concentration in pastoral care. And what that means is generally I will be meeting with you one-on-one or as couples to help you work through your situations, your life, your troubles, using your own personal narrative using your story and helping show you God in you. And so that's what my, my gear is. But at the same time, I, I do have to be able to bring a word every now and then. Amen. So this is the thing, Kyle, you're not recording yet, are you? Hopefully not. Dang. Okay, listen, this is what I need y'all to do. We can always edit. This is what I need y'all to do. <laughs> this is what I need y'all to do. So since I just gave my disclaimer, like, just don't throw anything don't boo. And when Wesley comes back next week, just don't like throw yourself at his feet. Like, Oh, please don't leave us again with Paul, especially. And so, um, <laughs> let's get into it. Let's get into it. I couldn't decide like, you know, uh, ministering or preaching, speaking before people was the thing that you, the more you do it, you get a rhythm. You kind of get a rhythm to it. And so I'm up here all the time singing and I can talk in between singing, but it's different when I have to hold your attention with actually what, what I'm saying. You know, that means what I'm saying actually has to make some sense. And so in seminary, they train you to do this in several different ways. You can either be a manuscript preacher. And I, I don't know, some of you have probably seen this kind of thing where you stand and you stand behind a, a podium or something and you read word for word from the manuscript and you may leave it every now and then. And then you come back. Oh, I'm sorry. Middle schoolers, we are having service today. And Cedric is right here. Any middle schoolers, it's an awesome service. Uh, he's a better teacher than I am, so, you know, do yourselves a favor. Look, no adults get up. No adults get up. <laughs> and so, and, and so like, I, like I was saying, you can either be a manuscript preacher or you can be what's called an extemporaneous preacher, which means you pretty much uh, memorize your notes and kind of just let the spirit of God lead you. Well, I'm kind of a combination of both. And so, you know, oftentimes if you don't have a Bible, people don't feel like you're preaching. You know, you don't have a Bible in hand. But believe me when I tell you, it's... It's all in here, scriptures and everything, and then we'll also have the words on the screen. And so what I'm going to do, I just decided at this moment that I'm not going to use that table, that I'll use this right here. And so I have both. So all that being said, let's get started. Lord God, thank you so much for, first of all, giving me this opportunity to speak to your people, to speak into their lives, to feed their hearts and minds a word from you. So I ask that you guide my tongue, Lord God, it's none of me and it's all of you. Help my personal life experiences and the revelation you have given me 
help someone to come to know you and grow in you more on this morning. It's in Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 So let's start off here. When I was in college, I got a really, really nice car. It was probably one of the nicest cars I'd ever bought in my life. It was an 86 Bonneville. Aaron, you remember that car, don't you? It was nice. It's navy blue inside and out. Some old lady in Piqua, Ohio had it up in her garage. She only drove it to the post office, grocery store type of thing. And I was able to buy it with some money. See, at that time, Discover Cars started doing, what was it called? Cash Forward or something like that, where you could actually take out cash on your credit card and then pay it back. And so, <laughs> I was stupid. You know, why do, why do they give college, why do they give college students credit cards? All I wanted was the t-shirt. All I wanted was the free t-shirt in the student union, and I have a $1,000 limit credit card at, at 19, you know, 19, 20 years old. And so anyway, I used this. I had some of the money, and so I used around four, $500 on this card in order to buy this card. So I'm thinking, I have a job, I work well, it's cool, I'll be able to pay it back, you know, it's no problem. I was very good with paying my credit card. So about, you know, six months in having this car, I get in a car accident, and the car is totaled. And so I am livid, I'm hot, right? Because now I'm running around a busted up car. I just got rid of a busted up car. Now I have a busted up car that I'm still having to pay for. You know what I mean? And so I had to, you know, my back was hurting. So I had to go through about six months of physical therapy. And so, you know, I was rear-ended and, you know, the lady was responsible. And so, you know, they were going to pay me pain and suffering and the value of my car, a little extra, at the end of physical therapy, but I had to wait till I finished my therapy to be able to turn in, you know, all my stuff. Anybody who's ever had to make a claim, you understand how that works. So during therapy, I start to think in my mind, I want something that if I get hit, I'm going to be all right. You know, I want something different. You know, I'm from Ohio, so, you know, I need something that's good in the snow, the rain, any type of weather I want to be able to go. And so I decide I'm going to give me a blazer, <laughs> right? So I started talking to my boy Aaron about it. He, he, he had just purchased a car, and we're talking about it. And it's like, man, you know, uh, you buy a car that helps fix your credit and build your credit. And so I'm like, really? really? Right? You know, I'm talking to my mom. My mom is like, pump the brakes. Let's first pay your bills off. Pay this Discover thing off. Make sure the Blazer's paid for. Make sure that the, the hospital's paid for. And then you can see about getting you something. But, Paul, I suggest you buy something right out. It's something that you don't have to finance or have to pay anymore. And I'm like, oh, no, nah, it's, it's going to build my credit. And she's like, all right, but I'm telling you. And so I start buying all these little things because, you know, at that time I wasn't necessarily walking with the Lord like I should have been. And so, you know, I'm buying big box speakers and amplifiers to run my CD changer. And it's just like, oh, I got the face off radio. I decked it out. I decked it out before I even had it. I was buying all this stuff, right? Mom is like, whoa, whoa. Whoa, whoa, you know, stop spending money like you about to get a million dollar settlement, you know? And so, you know, I'm not listening to her. And so my mother says, okay, well, listen, we're going to go out and get your new car, but I suggest you buy it right out. So, you know, just hold on to the money. It's not going anywhere. My mother goes on, well, she went on a vacation every year with her brothers and sisters down to Florida. She would go and be gone for a week. And so she went on the vacation maybe two weeks after I got my settlement check. And so when mom comes home, she finds my blazer in the driveway, you know. And so she's just like, you're going to learn. I tried to tell you. 
I tried to tell you. This blazer, oh, it was just a disaster. I had to take the thing back to the dealership the day I got it because it was leaking oil. Little did I know that people generally don't trade in trucks and blazers, especially in the Midwest, until they've just run them into the ground. And so the dealership, especially if it's like buy here, pay here, finance here, dealership, just kind of fix them up well enough to get you to buy them. Second, you drive it off the lot, it depreciates like half. And so I didn't know. And so I had this blazer for years. It was a hole in my pocket. It was the bane of my existence from the day I bought it. But I knew better, right? I wanted to do my own thing. And so in life, I found that many of us probably run into those situations, am I right, where somebody says, don't go or stay, or I think you should do this, I think you should do that. And we kind of push up against it to say, hmm, well, I really don't know. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of my own life. You know, if you're a guy, you kind of get into this thing like, do I really put my life in the hands of someone else? You know, I got to make my own decisions. I'm a man now. If you're honest, you've had some of those situations where someone's tried to warn you. They see you crashing and burn. You know you've had those situations because you know you've watched your friends and loved ones. And you see them going down and you're like, oh, Lord, oh, Lord. And you try to tell them and they're just like, hey, man, this is my life. I got to live it for myself. And if you grew up in any type of religious environment, you really ran up against this type of stuff. Things in the Bible, things in our faith and our practice, things that kind of just pushed up against who you were and what it was that you felt like our society called you to be. You know, and you kind of start asking, like, does that really fit in today's society? You know, with all the technology, you know, and everything that's going on and so much relativism. And, you know, I don't know, Lord, you know, maybe in some ancient culture that worked. But, you know, you don't know what it's like to be 22 living in Atlanta, Georgia and be single. You know, you know, you, you, you never had to be married to her. You don't have to live with him. I mean, good God, the smells, I don't even know where they come from. <laughs> like all the wives are laughing because they know what I'm talking about. You know, but we run into these type of things. And then, you know, as you experience life more and more and more, start to ask questions like, is this really wrong? Is this really right? Can I really not say or do this? And for those high things, do I have any theologians or I, I don't see anybody from my school here. Paul Tillich is, is a theologian and writer. Wesley actually told me not to even bring this up, but I'm going to bring it. We're going to have to edit this out too. And so Paul Tillich supports a theory that's about a word called theonomous and heteronomous. And all that is, is big words to say, is this something God said to a certain group of people for a certain time, for a certain situation, and it was just for them? Or is this something that God said for everyone, for all time, and it applies to all of us? Have you ever gotten into those type of discussions? Oh, sure you have. Y'all yeah, for quiet on me this morning. I know, we, I know this is different. This is different for Tri-Cities, I know. But, you know, when we get into these back and forth with God, these tussles or whatever, it creates a tension or even what I like to call a state of confusion at times. And uh, generally, when we don't understand the why, we generally fall on two sides of this thing. Either we just don't do it or... We do it, but we just go through the motions, not really being committed to the process. And so you have to realize God's whole thing isn't just wanting you to go through the motions. You know, if God just wanted your compliance or your cooperation, or if God just wanted you to take everything as though it was relative, the, the Ten Commandments would probably be called the Ten Suggestions. You know what I mean? And all the commandments throughout the Bibles would end with a question mark. You know? But on the other side, you know, if God just wanted your compliance and for you to do everything he did, I mean, lightning bolts and a big booming voice from the sky would achieve that. Am I right? You know, any, anytime you step out of line, boom, you know, you jump back in, you kind of do it. But God's not after our cooperation and compliance. God wants relationship 
and intimacy. I believe that what God wants from all of us is relationship and intimacy. And so you got to think about the relationships that you're in, be it if it's with a spouse, be it with your best friend or whoever you're with. Don't you just love it when they do something that really makes you feel valued? Something that makes you know they listened to you? You know, you come home, it's late and you're tired and you're stinking like, oh, I got to deal with these kids. And you see, he's already bathed them and fed them and they're in their pajamas ready to go to bed. That's a personal testimony for me and my wife there. You know, I mean, but you got it. You, you, you have those things in relationships. You know, you, you drive your car home and you know it's low on gas. You know, you're thinking like, man, I got to get up extra early in the morning, you know, to go get gas. Then you go out to your car and it's already filled up. Your spouse is wet and tug it out. Don't, doesn't that make you feel loved? Amen. Yeah. Hey, doesn't that make you feel appreciated? It makes you feel like, okay, they're not just complying with me, although I feel some wives really just would be satisfied with compliance. But they're not just complying with me, but they are really interested in me. They really hear me and everybody wants to be heard. Am I right? All right. We're dealing with some, some, some pretty big things this morning. After all these things happen in our relationships and our, our interaction with God and life or whatever, when we enter into these things, we're kind of like, ah, oh, we got this tension of, of caution or confusion. Like, I don't know if I really need to be leaning into you like this or trusting you like this. But on the other side of this, it's awesome because after we go through these things, there's a sense of trust through our experience. God becomes real to us. That relationship becomes real to us. Oh, he really does care about me. Oh, she really does love me. Oftentimes in our relationships with God, we're called to do something that we don't understand or agree with. Things happen, people come and go in and out of our, in and out of our lives. Uh, we have loss, we have pain, we have confusion, sorrow, these different things that cause us to pull back sometimes on our trust. When we have these encounters with God, though, and we do trust God, it's only on the other side of trusting. It's only after 10 years of marriage that we realize, oh, that was worth it. It was good for me to have trusted. It was good for me to have stuck it out with him, even though, you know, he's a wretch undone. <laughs> you know, it's great for me to have stuck with it, even though I mean her cooking, mm. <laughs> you know. It's great. And so you realize the reward of your faithfulness and your commitment to the union. Same thing with God as we get on the other side of it. The problem is until we get on the other side of it, <laughs> situations are quite tense. Am I right? Let somebody say, woo. I hope that wasn't my wife. She said, no, I hope that wasn't her. <laughs> but when we experience this tension and this confusion, you know, I found in life, and you see it throughout the Bible, and, and some of you have experienced it and seen it through others, Sometimes when you don't know what's going on, sometimes you have to go and then you'll know. Anybody ever experienced that? Mom says, don't buy that. Dad says, don't date that guy. Look at him. It's like three generations of yuck there. And you, yet you still date him. You like, you get on the other side. You're like, now I see why. You know, they told me not to go there. They told me not to go there. I said, oh, but then, you know, I told her I'll take him to church and his brother-in-law is the pastor and da, da, da. But now I see why. You know, and we go through these different things. They told me not to buy this type of car. No one told me. My first car was a Ford uh, Granada. No one told me not to buy a Ford. <laughs> you don't buy it. Now, let me say this right now. You do not buy a Ford unless it's a Mustang or F-150. <laughs> oh, no, Fords are a lot better now. They got better Fords now. They got the Fusion and all that. Those, those are buy But back in my day, you didn't buy a Ford unless you bought an F-150 or a Mustang. That was the only reliable Fords, all right? But they, they have more reliable ones now. And so 
What I want to do is talk about someone who actually went through this kind of tension in the Bible. His name was Nehemiah. And if you could turn with me to 2 Kings 5, those of you who do have your Bibles or your electronic devices, you know, the wireless signal is kind of weak here, so it might take a while to boot up. And we are going to read the whole boot up. That's an old word, isn't it? So my age. We're not going to read the whole chapter, but I want to kind of paraphrase and just tell you the story of Nehemiah. Naaman, I'm sorry, of Naaman. Thank you so much, Jamie. See, that's why we have those guys up front. That's why he's on the front row. <laughs> you know, you have the story of Naaman. Now, Naaman was a general who worked for a king, but Naaman had leprosy. Anybody remember this story from Sunday school? Okay. And so Naaman goes, you know, he has leprosy. One of his slaves tells him, hey, listen, there's a prophet in Israel that could most likely heal you. And so he goes, he gets the permission of his kings. King gives him all this stuff to go just in case he has to barter for this healing because they worship a different kind of God that you kind of had to pay. I'm not going to talk about any churches that might reflect now, but that's not Tri-Cities. So Naaman goes, you know, and, and he comes and he's kind of mad because uh, Elisha wouldn't even come out of the house and talk to him. You know, he's like, man, this guy can't even come and wave his hand over real quick. He's supposed to be a prophet. How come I can't get my healing? He's kind of mad. He's ready to walk away. One of his servants comes to him and says, hey, Damon, come on. What you really got to lose? I mean, you know, at worst case, you're a little embarrassed. But if this guy would have asked you to do this big lofty thing, you would have done it. All he's asking you to do is go down and bathe in this river, dip in this river seven times and you'll be healed. I mean, the best thing that could happen is it works. You know, but Damon's kind of like, man, we had cleaner rivers back where we came from. This is like dirty but he's like you know just do it so if you read the story you know Naaman goes he, he dips seven times he comes up and this is the awesome awesomest thing awesomest I said it thing in this story he comes up and he doesn't say I don't have leprosy anymore he says now I know that there is one God the God of Israel and when you just think about that it's so awesome Naaman didn't come to Israel to meet God Naaman came to Israel to get rid of his leprosy. And as a result, he encountered God. Let me say that one more time. Naaman did not go so that he could meet God. Naaman went so that he could be healed of leprosy. And as a result of going, he came into knowing God. Amen. Can anybody say, that's all right. <laughs> that's all right with me. You know, and it's so amazing because Naaman gives a great example of how when our lives are changed, but yet we still exist in a context or a social culture that's kind of what we call carnal. That's the church word, you know. He gives a great example of how to do it. Anybody know what Naaman asked uh, Elisha for? Look, y'all trying to read real quick. Don't read, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. You go back and read it. Naaman says, hey, listen, can I take some dirt? As much as a donkey can carry. I think it might have been two donkeys. Can I take as much of your earth or your dirt with me as I can back to my kingdom? Because see, where I worship, I serve a king. I'm a man under authority. And I work at IBM or Google, something like that. And we have this prayer time at Google that everybody has to pray at 2 o'clock. And since I don't believe in the Google God anymore, I believe in the one true God of Israel. Can I take some of your dirt? Because in that time, they thought God was God of the dirt. If I have some of your dirt, I can worship your God on my soil or whatever. Different culture, don't judge them. Don't judge him. Different time. And so, you know, Elijah says, yeah. And so he goes. He goes, he takes the dirt and everything. So in Sunday school, when I was a kid, that's kind of where the story ended. In the celebration, did, that, did it end for anybody else like that? Like, oh, and he dipped seven times in the Lord of Israel is the true Lord. And now it's over and great and we go on. But 
there's another character in this story, and his name was Gehazi, or maybe Gehazi. I've heard it pronounced different ways. Gehazi is the way I'm going to say it. I don't speak, you know, fluent Hebrew. I speak two languages. I speak English, and I speak an abbreviated, broken form of English called Ebonics. Quite fluently. And so I, I can speak those two. And so if you, know, if you know the language a little better than me, you can say it differently. But I'm going to call him Gehazi. Is that all right? All right. So we look here. <laughs> Y'all are crazy. <laughs> you know? And so Gehazi is sitting back watching all this unfold. Now we end up finding out, not necessarily in the first reading, but we end up finding out on the backside of the story, that when Naaman comes, like I said, the king sent him. He sent him with silver. He sent him with gold. He sent him with clothes. That was, that was valuable in that day. And so Naaman was a servant of Elisha. And prophets, which Elijah was, are generally poor people. So if you're the servant of a prophet, you, you broke. You know what I mean? Like, you, you're pretty poor. And so when he sees Naaman coming down the road and he sees Naaman coming with all this stuff, he's like, the ship has come in. This guy's coming to be healed of leprosy. I know Elijah can heal him of leprosy. We're going to get all the gold. We're going to get all the silver. Our day has come. The Lord has provided. He starts making a whole grocery list, which we find out later. He starts making, I'm going to get me some vineyards. I'm going to get me some, some fine things of my own. I'm going to have my own slaves. I'm going to have my maid servants. I'm going to have my man servants. You know, he starts making this whole list of things. But then something goes dreadfully wrong for, for Gehazi. The unthinkable happens. Naaman says to Elisha, let me give you something, man. You came, you know, I came, I got healed, I met God, I got dirt. Come on, let me give you something for all you've done for me. Elisha says, no, no, you're good, just, you know. No, nah, come on, man, listen, my, my life was over. I pretty much was on a time clock counting down. I was out of this place. I had a death sentence. I was going to be no more. I came, I got the dirt, I met God. Let me give you something. Elisha's like, no, we're not going to take anything from you. That probably wouldn't be said in a lot of churches these days, but we're not going to go there. So let's look. We're going to pick it up in 2 Kings 5, 19. Elijah says, go in peace. After Naaman had traveled some distance, Gehazi, the servant of Elijah, the man of God, said to himself, my master was too easy on Naaman, this Armenian, by not accepting from him what he brought. As surely as the Lord lives, I will run after him and get something from him. Now, this is, what, this is what Gehazi's thinking. Elijah's slipping, man. He doesn't realize this is a money-making model thing we got going on here. This is our million-dollar idea. We can really profit off of this. But good thing I'm in touch. As long as the Lord is with me, as he is with him, I'm in touch with it. And so what I'm going to do, he dropped the ball, so I'm going to save the day. I'm going to run after him. I'm going to get something. Elijah blew it, but thank God for me. I'm going to save the day. I got a plan. Now, this is where it starts to get a little personal for me, and maybe even for you at times. How many times have we not agreed with the way something played out in our lives? And as a result, we felt that we needed to rewrite the story. And so we try to rewrite or change the outcome, trying to manipulate the outcome for our benefit. Or we try to negotiate with God as if, you know, God is asking for suggestions. Anybody got suggestions? Oh, I got a suggestion. You know, if you got some time, God, I, you know, I've kind of been down here for a while. I've experienced some things. I might be able to tell you a little something. I mean, that's really how we treat God. We treat our God like he's in our back pocket. He's about this much taller than we are, right? Very few of us 
Because this is what we're really doing. We're really just saying, no thanks, God. But very few of us rarely, if ever, flat out just say no to God. There's been a lot of just say no campaigns. And really in our culture and our society, it's still a lot of just say no to God, but they don't actually say that. And so those of us who claim to be believers or claim to know God, very seldom we come out and just say no to God. But in our hearts and in our actions, that's what we do. Because we all have a plan, right? We try to stall God or put God off. We come up with stuff like this. <laughs> once I'm married, right now I'm single, but once I'm married, my whole life's going to change. It's going to be different. I'm going to have a whole different connection with God. Some of us say after I graduate, after spring break, after rush week. I just can't see it happening on this campus with all these guys and girls. Some of us say after I pay this bill, I'll start tithing, I'll start giving to a charity after I pay this bill. Some of us say after I have a baby, I'll settle down. I'll slow down. I'll learn how to come home at a decent hour, get my life together after I have a baby because you know, then it's a kid at home waiting on me. Now, the bottom line to all this is we think we're smarter than God when it comes to what's best for our lives. When we enter into this back and forth with God, this tug of war, this, uh, I don't know, well, if God was so good, why would he let bad things happen? And I don't know if this really applies to me. This was a whole nother culture over on a whole nother continent. But very few of us don't understand what it is that God is asking from us or for us to do. We hear it clearly. It's in that moment of tension or confusion the same one that Naaman experienced when he got mad that I feel we ask, we fail to ask ourselves the ultimate question, the ultimate question. And it's easy to miss. It's slight. And it's, it's, it's a real struggle for many of us. And, and to demonstrate what this ultimate question is, we're going to really do something different now. We never do this here. It might not even work, but I'm going to try it anyway. I need two people to help me out this morning. Two people. Now on this side, I need a guy who has about... Uh, 20, 30,000 in your pocket. No, that don't work. Okay, all right. A couple hundred. Anybody got a couple thousand dollars in their pocket? Don't be embarrassed. I don't carry money in my wallet either. My wife keep me broke. She thinks it keeps me out of trouble. You know, I don't carry money in my wallet either. Okay, let's change it up. I'm just joking, kidding, with all that. Anybody on this side, in the middle or on this side of the room have about 20 to $30 in your pocket? 20, 30, $40? Any guy, anyone? Elliot, come on up, Elliot. All right. All right, so, and on this side of the room, I need, let's see here. I, <laughs> she said a girl with nobody. I, <laughs> that is hilarious. <laughs> I need the help of someone, someone special. Someone special. But the ladies are nervous right now. They are really nervous right now. How about, would you help me out this morning? Would you? This is not your first time here, right? No. What's your name? Beverly. Come on, everybody. Let's give Beverly a hand. Come on up, Beverly. I need Beverly's help. And this is going to be great. This is going to be awesome. Beverly, you know, we have Ellie and we have Beverly. So glad you, you came up to try to help me out. Now, Beverly, why I asked you, let me see your rings here. Why I asked you to come up, I noticed this gorgeous ring. Is this ring on the side? I think you so. Wouldn't, you wouldn't tell me if it wasn't, <laughs> would you? That is just a good, and I love the setting. Babe, can you see that from there? Can you see that from there? It is just really lovely. Now, Ellie, how, how much you got? How much, how much money you got? 
This is going to be brief. Bear with me. It might not even work. What this allows me to do is that if the whole thing flops, I can tell Elliot it was their fault. <laughs> How much you got here? You look, you got more, more than... <laughs> That's about all you got, about 25 bucks. You hold on to it for a minute. We're going to do some bargaining here. What I want to do, I want to demonstrate the tension that I believe we go through at times with God. So let me have you up here. Sit right here. And Elliot, let me have you up here on this stool here. And we'll keep going. Yes, this is going to be great. Stick with me now. Stick, stick, stick with me now. Now, what I want you to do, first of all, I got to promise you, you will leave the stage better than you came. That's the least I can do for you, right? That's the least I can do for you. You're going to leave better than you came. I'm not going to get his money. <laughs> no, I don't know. I don't know. But we're going to do some bargaining because I'm telling you, this is going to really, I think, illustrate, illustrate the tension we go through with God. Now, now how, how much you got, Elliot? How much you got? Now, I'm going to ask you to give me that $25. It's not, it's not something I'm going to give you back. Nobody's going to sneak up to you after church and give it back to you like, there you go. It's not, I don't know, I, I want to go out and eat after service. That's probably what we're going to use it for. You know, me, me and my wife, we'll probably go out and eat. And so I'm going to ask you for that $25, and it'd be mine, really mine to have. I'm not going to give it back to you. You're not going to see it from me. You got it? At all whatsoever that's a half a tank of gas for me all right and what i want to ask you for my my wife has this idea my my wife has this grand idea that at our 10 year anniversary we're on 7 years now but she has this grand idea that on our 10th year anniversary she'll get her real ring that lets you know how broke i was when we got married right and so, you know, I was just looking at it and, and, you know, the size of your hand is just the set. I'm like, that is gorgeous. It's glimmering. It's like blinding me right now. And I just think that that would look so good on my wife's hand. And so what I'm going to ask you for is for you to give me that ring. And it'll really be mine. I can stump on it if I want to and smash it out. I can take it up to Cancrete. There's always a guy out there with a sign talking about they bago. You know, I can trade it in. I can do it. I need my motorcycle fixed. So, you know, that might just do it. You know, that, 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 that might just do it. And so we're going to ask, I'm going to ask you to do this deal right now. You don't have to do it right away because it kind of gives me a chance to go into the message a little bit more. But think about it just slightly because this is really going to be mine. In exchange, I give you what's in my pocket. I give you what's in my pocket. Okay? Now, this might not even work. Like I said, I can always blame them if it doesn't. Now... <laughs> What happens in these moments of tension and uncertainty right now? What's going on? It's not unclear what I'm asking for. Just like most times, it's not unclear what God is asking for. But what is in unclear is what God is promising in return. That's not always clear to see on the other side of that. You know, and, and I'm pretty sure Elliot's like, you know, it's $25. $25 is not a lot of money, not a whole, whole lot of money. I mean, like I said, it's a half a gas, half a tank of gas for me, you know. I, I don't know how it rolls, you know, how Elliot rolls, but, you know. I know $25, you know, but it's no story behind. There's no personal attachment. Who's your name again? Beverly. Beverly, on the other hand. I mean, women in jewelry, I, I guarantee you, it's a story attached to this ring. Oh, yeah. You know, when it comes like me, she's probably looking like he has them ring on. None of them mean nothing but one of them, you know. But I'm pretty sure it's a story, some sentimental value tied to that ring, as well as monetary. What's happening right now is what I believe happens with us oftentimes when God starts to push up against things in our lives and when God begins to ask us for things in our lives. And we make our decisions based off of the value of what's in our hand as opposed to the promise that was made. 
Because remember, I promised them that they would leave better than they came. Now, I got I to gotta be honest with you, Beverly. I don't think a woman in this place would make this deal with me. Especially not my wife, because she probably knows what I have in my pocket, you know. <laughs> but she's really hoping you make this deal. I, I guarantee you. She's fingers crossed right now, you know. So, Elliot, how much we got? You going you to let me have it? This is great. Cole, where you at? Come on up and get this, babe. We're going to, uh, come on, come on, come on up and get it. Come on. Come on. Oh, she like, bring it out. See, that's my life. That's my wife. Bring it to me. Make the bacon. Bring the bacon home and fry it up, you know. That's my wife. Okay, so thank you, Elliot, so much. That was great. Now, Beverly kind of puts you in a tough spot, doesn't it? Now, what does this spot also remind you of? Have you ever believed God for something or know that God has told you something and others know too? Because, see, your eyes are on them right now. They're feeling a little bit uneasy. Maybe not Elliot. You know, he's a superstar. He's a drummer and everything. So he's used to kind of being up in front of people. But I don't know. Beverly's just kind of like, uh, she's rubbing the ring. She's like, would he notice if I took it off? <laughs> Slipped it in my pocket. You know, what is this guy really up to? <laughs> you know, what is this guy really up to? You know, but this is, this is the things we go through in life. And people, you know, you told someone that you would be married. You told someone that God was going to bless you with a child, with a job with a new car, with a new house, with healing in your body, with peace in your mind. And they're watching you. And all where they're watching you, you're still going through this tension, this moment of confusion. Now, like I said, oftentimes we make the mistake of gauging our decision on the value of what's in our hand that God is asking us to turn over for him. God asks you to give him that relationship. God asks you to put in applications and trust that he would bless you. And so we sit back. What it comes down to is what I believe is one of life's ultimate questions. And that's the title of this message today. Don't, don't get me wrong. This is not just the intro. We're actually into it. Don't, I'm not going to keep you here that long. <laughs> but it's the ultimate question. And the ultimate question here in our exchange is, can I be trusted? See, it's not about the value you know, because, you know, like I said, $25 is $25, but, you know, hey, he's Paul, I kind of know him, you know. This also makes a difference, relationship. Because, see, Elliot and I kind of know each other, you know. We've had some laughs at other people's expenses, you know. <laughs> Played some good music together, done some things. So he, he's kind of familiar with me in this interaction. Beverly, on the other hand. She just kind of sees me around. She kind of knows this guy. He's preaching today. Most time he's singing. I don't really even know if I'm enjoying this because he got me sitting up here on the store. <laughs> and the relationship is not quite the same. You know, she knows me from a community. Like, well, yeah, they believe in him, but I don't know if I believe in him. And so that creates a whole nother tension, doesn't it? In the decision that has to be made. Like, listen, if I was to say, Beverly, can you give me a dollar? Oh, pff, wow. She'd probably give me two without even thinking about it, you know. But, but she's still mistaken the value of what's in her hand to what I promised her. Now, if I was to say to Beverly, Beverly, I'll trade your boots for whatever, and it was a big curtain over here, whatever the dream car is that you've always wanted. With me, it would be an Audi or a four-door Porsche, Penrare, or something like that. As she was taking off her shoes, <laughs> her eyes would go from her shoes to the car. You know what I mean? 
And so that's, that goes back to that compliance thing. God's not after just our cooperation. He wants relationships with us. And so when God often says, give me what you got, and I give you what's in my pocket. Give me your plans for you. Give me the ideas of what you think you're supposed to be doing with your life, and I'll give you my plans for you and what I believe your life is supposed to be like. And we're like, well, what's in your plan? Look at them. They're looking at my pockets. What's in your pocket? You know, it's, 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 it's a moment of tension. And, and what you have to realize, when we're asking God what's in his pocket, we're just really showing him, I don't trust you that much. If we can't go along with what God is saying, you know, because if not, your folk, if, if I was to do the car deal, this is the thing. I wouldn't do it because, for one, your focus will go from what's in your hand to what will be in your hand, and you'll bypass me altogether. Am I, am I right? And God will tell you, I don't just want your compliance and your cooperation to my commands. I want relationship. And one of the major currencies for relationship is trust. Amen? It's hard, isn't it? Stuff you give it to God, wouldn't you? <laughs> she said, even that'll be hard. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> she said, even that'll be hard. That's hilarious. And so, I mean, last chance, you know, because I, I will probably want the bracelet along with it. They look like that match very well. You, you coordinated that very nice this morning. You give it to God? To God, but not to me. I'm not even close. <laughs> I'm not even close. Who can blame her? Who can blame her? Amen. I can't blame her. Now, Elliot, you know what I have at Elliot's right now? No, I don't have his money. Kobe has his money. I have Elliot's attention. When I go over here, Elliot goes with me. Every word I'm saying, Elliot's following me around. Why? Because I made him a promise. And so I have his full, undivided attention. And so, Elliot, let's see what we got here. Let's see. Let's see what we got. We got one. He <laughs> said that's a lot of words. <laughs> Two, three. Oh, we got a five there. Oh, we got some 20 twin twins up in there. And so here we go. We got 20, 40, 50, three dollars. For you, man. Thanks a lot. Come on. You have a seat. Come on, give it up for Elliot. Give it up for Elliot. <laughs> Beverly, I, I, I don't have anything for you, Beverly. But listen, but don't, don't judge Beverly. Because isn't it true? When God starts putting his hands on our families, on our kids, on our vocations, you know, it's a little harder because we mistake it. You know, I remember when I was in college and I said, Lord, I give it all to you. All I have is yours. And God is like, you got a blazer and some CDs. <laughs> Whoa. I mean, but, but for me, I mean, that, that was like everything I had a value. You know what I mean? That was like everything I have a value. But don't you know now, at 39 years old, it's a lot harder. I got a wife. I got two kids, two houses, two cars, a motorcycle, a dog, fish. <laughs> it's a little harder. Gruesome, isn't it? You sure? You give it to God. She'll give it to God. Come on, give Beverly a hand, everybody. Oh, wait a minute, Beverly, wait a minute. But I did tell you, I did tell you. Do you like music? 
You love music? I did tell you you would leave better than you came. So there you go. The iTunes gift card for you. Have a seat. Come on, give Beverly a hand, y'all. Give Beverly a hand. It's kind of convicting, isn't it? We start to mistake, you know, the value of the things that we're holding as though God's not the one that gave it to us in the first place. And when he begins to make us promises, you know, it's still difficult. It's still difficult. So let's move on with Gehazi. I'll finish the story. And we're going to talk about, we're, we're going to see how someone who didn't understand why God did what God did, how it turned out for him. So verse 21. So Gehazi hurried after Naaman. When Naaman saw him running toward him, he got down from his chariot to meet him. Is everything all right, he asked. Everything's all right, Gehazi answered. My master sent me to say to you, two young men from the company of the prophets have come to me from the hill country of Ephraim. Please give them a talent and silver with two sets of clothing. So look, this is what happened. Naaman leaves, Gehazi is like, you blew it. Elisha, I got to go out. So, I'm gonna, so he runs out. He says, hey, Naaman, Naaman. Whew, man, funniest thing just happened. Two guys just showed up. And, and you know what they needed? Two talents of silver and some clothes. And we just happened to remember that you had them. And so we figured like, man, could you please help us out? And, you know, Naaman's like, sure, you know, I don't need it. I came, I, I, I got healed. I met God. I got your dirt. Sure, take them. And so what, what, what Gehazi does, he loads them up on two of his guys. He loads them up on two of his guys and has them go back. Uh, Naaman, I'm sorry, loads them up on two of his guys and has them go back. And so verse 23, by all means, take two talents, said Naaman. He urged Gehazi to accept them and then tie them up with two talents, two talents of silver, I'm sorry, in two bags. And with two sets of clothes, he gave them to his servants and they carried them ahead of Gehazi. When Gehazi came to the hill, he took the things from the servants and put them away in the house. And he went and he sent them in and left. Then he went and stood before his master. Now he does all this. He gets the stuff back. He loads them up. From what the story tells us, he gets right to the top of the hill where you'll be able to see down into Elijah's house. He says, hey guys, I'll take it from here. Kind of loads himself up. You know, probably had to take more than one trip. And he sneaks all this stuff into the house. And goes in and stands beside Elijah and says, I saved the day. I saved the day. Elijah blew it, but I saved the day. Now I'm going to get all those things I wanted. I'm going to get me some of my own service. I'm tired of being your servant. And, and, and I'm going to have all this other stuff. He makes a foolish mistake. And so, Elisha asks him, where have you been, Gehazi? Your servant didn't go anywhere. Now listen, how smart is it? To lie to a guy who's so in tune with, with, with the creator that he can send somebody else down to the river to get cleansed seven times. Let me ask you another question. How smart is it for me to argue with the God of the universe about how I should run my life? How smart is it for me to argue with God about how I should treat my wife and raise my kids. How smart of it? I mean, it's like, but God, but God's like your kids. Anybody got kids that come in? But dad, but dad, you didn't know this. It's, I already knew the butts. I probably made it. But we do these things with God all the time and then we stall or we try to bargain with God. You know, and we go through all these things. So this is the key. Key point here. Your servant didn't go anywhere. But Elijah said to him, was not my spirit with you when the man got down from his chair to meet you? Go. 
Is this the time to take money or to accept clothes or olive groves and vineyards? He goes down Gehazi's whole grocery list. Man servants, women servants. This is the key thing too. With the term, is this the time? It's like he said this. Hey, Gehazi, who healed Naaman? God. So why should we be paid for something that God did? Oh, that's right. You didn't heal him. God healed him. That's why you wouldn't even come out to meet him. You wouldn't wave your hand. That's why you sent him down to the river. And that's why he got cleansed. And that's how he met God. And that's why he got dirt. Now it all makes sense. Oh. But see, he didn't understand. He paid the ultimate cost for it. Name his leprosy will cling to you and to your descendants forever. Then Gehazi went from Elijah's presence and his skin was leprous. It was as white as snow. Now, if you're honest, you've had some of those situations too, am I right? Where you decided not to trust, you decided not to believe, you decided not to have faith in. And on the up, other side of it, because you got on the other side of it, or you're getting on the other side of it, it cost you more than if you would have just listened in the first place. And not only that, you walk away with a huge sense of regret. Here's what most of us already know or have discovered in our lives. There are two ways to discover what God is trying to do through our lives. We can either choose to line up and go with God's instructions and leading. And as we go, we will know and grow and breathe a sigh of relief. Believing that God can be trusted. The other side of this is when you choose to find your own way through life in which most of us will find we have more regret than relief. We still figure it out, but usually at a greater cost. At the end of time, when everything is over, we're all going to figure it out. We're going to breathe a huge, ah, all together. You know what that is? The Bible talks about it. He said, at the end of times, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Everyone, everyone. I used to believe, but now I don't believe anymore. The atheists, the agnostics, the people of God was so good. Why you let people fly buildings in the pl and your planes in the buildings? The people who believe like, oh, I did believe until they hurt my granddaddy in the church. And so now I don't believe in organized religion anymore. All this, all this is too much, whatever, whatever, whatever. Everybody, all together. I'm a paraphrase. Oh, now I get it. Now I get it. For some of us, for some of us, it'll be a sigh of relief because we trusted. And for others, it'll be a sense of regret. Since I couldn't understand it, because I didn't believe in it, I turned my back on it, and I chose not to believe in trust. So now my question to you today, what is it that God is asking you for in your life? What is that situation that God wants you out of or that God wants you to stay in that you seem to have this tension and you're wrestling with it? And you're doing the but God thing and, you know, I just don't understand. Is this really supposed to be for me? I would propose 
that you may be considering the value of that thing that's in your hand, that thing that's in your life, those relationships that you think you can't live without. I'm not talking about marriage. Married people don't try to use this one. <laughs> don't try to use it. We're not talking about marriage. But we have other relationships. We have other communities that we're in that we know are toxic for us. But they benefit us in some type of way, financially, physically. What is it that God is calling off limits, out of bounds, or calling you to get in bounds with? And are you mistaking the value of that thing to be opposite or opposed to the promise that God made you? The ultimate question. Can God be trusted? Do you trust God with the plans for your life? Amen. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you so much, first of all, for just calling us into community with you, Lord. That you would even think to look down on us as, as the little people, your creation, that we are. And actually have interest and place value on our lives, our little insignificant lives. Lord God, we know this is easier said than done. Distrust thing. It's easier said than done, Lord God. So right now, I just pray for that man or that woman who their money is just the ultimate thing for them. And they just can't even imagine turning it all over to you, especially in a world that says that you're the master of your fate. You're the captain of your own soul. Lord, how do we turn these things over to you? I ask you to help that man or that woman. Give them peace in their heart. Give them confidence in their walk with you. For that woman or that man, Lord God, did just... Her kids are just everything to her. And making sure they're in the right school and they're in the right clubs and part of the right organization so that they can have a better life than she has, Lord God. Give her peace and give her calmness to know that her children are your children. And you have plans for them, plans to prosper them. And assured in. Give us peace and love and trust, Lord God. It's in Christ Jesus' name that we pray, Lord God, and we just ask all these things. Amen.